I want you to go with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you also to look over at Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 44. Ezekiel chapter 44. Verse number 14. When you have it, say amen. Today I want to talk about a different tribe. Look at your neighbor, tell them we want, we're a different tribe. Tell them you're a different kind of tribe. And when I preach this today, I've weighed my heart carefully because I don't want to preach um, something in a manner that suggests exclusivism or that, you know, sometimes people preach these kind of messages and they walk, you walk away feeling like you're more saved than everybody else. That is not the assignment today. How many know God is not a respecter of persons? So everybody, everybody has access to the things of God. God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of pursuit and principle. You actually have the opportunity to experience God in deep ways. The issue is not, is someone more special than you? And why is someone else having more of the blessing of God on their life? It's not because God respects them as a person more than you or me. It's because sometimes we want that blessing, but we didn't consider the pursuit that is invested in receiving that kind of blessing. And today I don't want to preach, I don't want to preach this revelation and this message today and somehow insinuate that we are exclusive. What I'm preaching today is an invitation into something deeper. It's an opportunity that is present, being presented to us. And I've had this message in my heart. I shared a little bit of this with uh, the students at Redemption School of Ministry this past week. It was stirring in my spirit. But I want to talk today about being a different kind of tribe. I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 44, verse number 14. Actually, it's back up to 13. I like getting the whole context. And they shall not come near to me. Talking about a particular part of the tribe of Levi, the Levites. They shall not come near to me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. I'll explain what that means in just a few minutes. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. But the priests, somebody say, but the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, say Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary and come near my table to minister to me, and they will keep my charge. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 2. This is a real familiar passage of Scripture. I feel a little bit more teachy this morning. Is that all right? Somebody said, what does that mean? It means nothing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you are the, somebody say, but now. You're the people of God. You have not, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, a different kind of tribe. Father, give us grace to hear today what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to this house. I pray for the Lord God to walk throughout the aisles of this place and just grace the hearts of your people with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may hear the word of the Lord 
And may the word of the Lord be activated in their life and take them from glory to glory. Some feel dirty, but the word washes us. Today while I'm preaching, let us take a bath in the word of God. Let our soul feel clean by the time we get up from this place today, Lord. Wash us in the water of your word. Cleanse us, O oh Lord. Sanctify us by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name and the people of God said amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today I want to talk about our responsibility as priests unto the Lord. And I want to break down, if I can, with the help of God, this whole issue of the priesthood of all believers. Because whether you recognize it and whether we know it or not, everyone in this room who says they're saved is a priest and a part of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. If we're going to catch the full totality of the revelation of the priesthood, we have to at least glance back and look at the Old Testament because it is in the Old Testament that we are given the type and shadow of the priesthood. And I think it'd be good to take a brief review of the priesthood in the Old Testament so that we can see some of the responsibility that we bear and the opportunity that we have as priests in the New Covenant. In order to understand the Old Testament priesthood, you have to go back and you have to look at the life of Jacob. Everyone say Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Each of those 12 men became a tribe, and those 12 tribes became the nation of Israel. Most of the tribes were given land when they went into the promised land in the book of Joshua and they began to take conquest and they began to take the promised land. Most every one of the tribes received uh, land and a portion of land as their inheritance. But there was one exception. It was the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi in the third chapter of the book of Joshua, God said to Joshua, tell the tribe of Levi. Everyone say Levi. Tell the tribe of Levi they do not get land as an inheritance because their inheritance will be me personally. Uh, this, is another, this is an altogether different kind of thing. I don't want to go into it too deeply, but I'm thankful that when the promised land is given out that, that it's more than just territory, although it includes that. I'm thankful today that our portion is not just stuff. I'm thankful that our portion is the Lord God himself. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you can get stuff, but if you don't have him, then nothing you got will satisfy your soul. It is the Lord God that is our portion, and I'm thankful today that in light of all he's blessed me with, he is still my exceeding great reward. Anybody thankful that he's the reward today? The tribe of Levi was not given a portion of land. The Bible says in the book of Joshua that they were given the Lord himself as their inheritance. And the tribe of Levi would later become called the Levites. It's where the word Levites come from. It's the descendants and those who are a part of the tribe of Levi. The Levites would be appointed to serve. When Moses was given the dimensions of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it was the Levites those from the tribe of Levi who were called to serve in the tabernacle, they would be responsible for bringing the animals of sacrifice to the altar. It was the Levites who bore the responsibility of preparing the sacrifice and burning the fat and separating the blood. And when the, when the offering and the sacrifice was burnt to ashes, it was the Levites who came to the altar and swept the ashes off the altar to prepare room for more fire to burn in the future. It was the Levites who were required to claim uh, to change their clothing. In fact, the Bible says that they had to put on linen breeches. This is where we get the word breeches from, right? They had to put on their breeches. They had certain kind of clothing with which they did the serving in the tabernacle. The Levites could not just come presenting themselves in any way. There was this really strict and rigid Levitical priestly code given to us in the Old Testament. In fact, if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, how many have ever got excited about reading the book of Leviticus? See, yeah, well, there's a few people who are crazy, but most of us, when we come to the book of Leviticus, it's not one of the most, uh, you know, it's not one of the most uh, uh, like exciting books to read. In fact, it is nothing but a bunch of priestly code. 
And you start reading it and you're like, why, why, why? What is this about putting blood on the ear and putting blood on the, on the horns of the altar and changing your clothes and sweeping the ashes? And you go read the book of Leviticus. It's unbelievable. When a house got mildew, when a house got filthy, they had to, they had to go in and sanctify it and they had to, to clean it and they had to burn out the, the bad stuff. It's just an amazing book if you read it. If you read it through natural eyes, you think, what is this all about? But if you read it through spiritual eyes, you understand the depth and the detail of the priesthood. That it could not just be a casual approach to the things of God, but that God was serious about how we served him, about how we uh, did what he called us to do. You may be tempted to think that the concept and the idea of the priesthood bears no importance in your personal journey with Jesus. But I want to tell you today that because of what Jesus died for and because of who Jesus died to save, the priesthood really does have significance and importance in our life. In fact, some people in the kingdom are not aware that they are a priest at all. You are sitting next to a priest. If they're born again, you're sitting next to a priest. You say, well, she's a woman and I don't believe in women priests. That's because you haven't read your Bible. Don't you like how I do that every now and then? Just tick people off sometimes. Well, they're a woman. They don't have any. No, no, that's not what your Bible says. Your Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. When you got born again, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, whether you're free or bound, whether you're, whether you're red, yellow, black, and white. When you got washed in the red blood, the holy, pure, perfect blood of Jesus Christ, he redeemed you from the curse of sin. He broke the power of sin over your life. He claimed you back from the auction block of sin, and he pointed his finger in the face of the devil and said, you don't own him and you don't own her anymore they are chosen and they are royalty and now I have called them my priest I have made them my own special people we were not a people you and I were not a people before Jesus saved us we had no true identity but now because we obtain, have obtained mercy through his blood, we have become a special, unique people that grace this planet bearing the presence of the living God. And everywhere we go, I believe we are not just called, but we are empowered to make a difference in the world. You are priest unto God. Four di three different times in the book of, the, of Revelation, the book of Revelation, three different times, John the Revelator says, listen to this, he has made you a king and priest unto God. Let me give you the address. Look at this, Revelation 20 verse 6, taking notes, write it down. Revelation 20 verse 6, Revelation 5 verse 10, Revelation 1 verse 6. Three different times in, in the book of Revelation, you have been made a king and a priest unto God. Now, I want to tell you today, it's important that you embrace this role as part of the priesthood because some people just think they are saved and not going to hell anymore. But there is more to your salvation and your spiritual identity than simply not going to hell. He did not just save us to get us out of hell. He saved us to fulfill a kingdom purpose and a priestly mandate, one that began in the Old Testament in the tribe of Levi, but is now being accomplished through a redeemed tribe of people who have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but but we have been re redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I don't care who you were before you got saved. You are not that anymore. Well, I still struggle with it. Well, that's okay as long as you understand it doesn't have the power to identify you anymore. Well, I still struggle with it. Well, keep on struggling because what's happening is that you are becoming who you already are. Oh, my God. You, you know, I want to tell you this right now. Don't let a religious dryhide who has not known the love of God or the mercy of God, don't let them 
terrorize you into believing that because you aren't there yet that you're not going to get there. My Bible said in the book of Philippians chapter 1, I am confident of this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to finish what he started and I may not be there yet but I can thank him that I'm on my way and I want to celebrate progress you may not be at the finish line but look back where you came from you're not where you started somebody praise him for progress today we're going somewhere and I got news for you if he started it and you'll just hang with him he'll finish it Glory to God. And part of this thing that he started in us was this whole thing of priesthood. Don't you feel this goodness in the room today? This whole thing of the priesthood. And I want you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 because I read a couple of verses there. But we don't usually read the verses preceding it. I want you to get them. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Chad, let's start with verse 4. Let's go all the way down through verse 10, okay? I read 9 and 10 to you, but I'm going to read the first couple verses before that, starting with verse 4. Coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. How many know Jesus is precious? You also, somebody say me. Say we. Come on, say us. We are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. This is not a carnal house. Help me or I'll come out there. I said this is not a carnal house. This is a spiritual house. This is not a flesh and blood and brick and mortar house. This is a spiritual house. Do you know if this building, God forbid, but if this building burnt down and next Sunday we had to have church outside in the parking lot, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost would show up and the word would still be preached and songs would still be sung. Why? Because this building does not define our encounter or our experience. I'm telling you right now, you can have church in this big old building, but baby, when we were back on 4th Avenue and could only fit 100 people in the building, I still had a move of God on Sunday afternoon because it's not about the brick and the mortar and the physicality of the house. We are a spiritual house built together by the, by the master, and he's got a plan and a blueprint with which he's working on our lives. Okay, gotta, I got to just read it, Lord. Your living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Watch this. You are a holy priesthood who has been called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Are you listening to this? Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're a what? Go back. We're a holy priesthood. Now, there is a concept and a theological train of thought that I want you to begin to get acquainted with this morning. It's called the priesthood of all believers. And it's significant because there was a time in church history in our past when only certain people got the word. And only certain people had a copy of the Bible. We call it the Dark Ages. And only certain priests could have access to the truth. And everyone else was held uh, captive by the priesthood, but the revelation that John, uh, part yes, the revelation that came to us when when he nailed the ninety five thesis on the door, and he said that that grace was available. Martin Luther said grace is available for everyone. Everybody ought to be able to be saved by grace. Everyone ought to be able to access the word of the Lord. It's why we call it the Great Reformation. It's when the truth got out of the hands of a few that were perverting the truth, and God began to move and turn the world upside down and the word of God began to get in the hands of believers and we began to see that although we're thankful for people who that we can go to the booth and confess our sins when we can't find a priest who'll take our number when we can't find someone who'll pray with us and teach us the word we have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us and we are all priests of the Lord we all have the word of God now we all have access to the throne of grace I'm thankful for the men and women of God that have covered me in my life but I want to tell you right now, 
if no one ever blesses you, if no one ever speaks over you, if no one ever gives you a purpose and a, and a reason to live as a priest of God, you need no one else but Jesus to stamp his approval on your life. I don't care if you're a female, male, black, red, yellow, white, green, purple, mohawk, wherever you came from, how much money you have in the bank is irrelevant in the kingdom of God. If he saved you and washed you in the blood, if he brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light, they may not like you, they may not believe in you, they may not trust, they may not even see how, but if the son makes me free, I shall be free indeed. He has called us into the priesthood and the priesthood of all believers is an opportunity and privilege for every person in this room. Can you say praise the Lord? Now, the Bible says we are a holy priesthood called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable. This may be a two-Sunday sermon. Acceptable. Because he gets to determine what is acceptable. And this is where we get in trouble in the day's church. We try to define what God already defined as acceptable. And as the priesthood, we bear the responsibility not of redefining what is acceptable, but as accepting what God has defined as acceptable and following the protocol of the priesthood. Now, first of all, when we say priesthood, I hope I've made this clear, but if not, let me say it very succinctly. The priesthood is not just about the preachers. Well, Brother Wallace, you're the priest of the house. That is not scriptural. I am the leader of this house, the under shepherd of the big shepherd. There's an apostolic grace on my life, and, and, and because of that, and, and the fivefold call on my life, I have surrendered and submitted my life to God as a leader in his kingdom, and he has called me to lead this church, and I am humbled, honored, and grateful for that call. And as members and, and, and people that are a part of this church family, we understand that the kingdom operates in submission to authority, and we're all submitted to one another, the Bible teaches. But this issue of you, Pastor Kevin, being my priest is not new covenant teaching. Because what we are attempting to do when we say that the preachers are the priesthood is that now we are hiring preachers and singers to do our sacrificing for us. I cannot find any help on Sunday morning. I want you to know right now that as, as I am anointed to lead and I'm anointed and called to, to shepherd this and Devin and I have accepted that calling, at the end of the day, I cannot bring a spiritual sacrifice to God on your behalf. You have got to bring an acceptable sacrifice. You're not helping me and I don't even care. You cannot say my preacher didn't bring an acceptable sacrifice. I know plenty of dead preachers who have members full of the fire of God because the preacher should never be your lid and he should come on in here somebody you ought to be able to have a move of God in your life not because of who you're following but because of what you laid on the altar and when you lay your life on the altar I feel the Lord on me right now God will fill that altar with holy fire And this nonsense, we'll say it, this nonsense about, oh, I'm so glad I go to a church where the worship leader looks like Jesus and he's so free and his hair is getting gray and he looks like Moses now and, and Miss Jojo is so full of the glory and, and Pastor Tobin and, and, and all the singers and the choir, we just have such wonderful worship. And you say that mess in your mind while you stand there like this. And you know why we don't praise God? Because we think their praise is the sufficient, acceptable sacrifice that God has been wanting. But God doesn't just want their hallelujah. He wants your hallelujah. He wants your worship. And I'm going to sit down. I'm going to 
tell you why some people can't bring worship when they come to church on Sunday. It's because Monday through Saturday, there has been no sacrifice laid on the altar. There's been no acceptable sacrifice submit, submitted unto God. I'll tell you why I don't have a problem lifting up my hands. Because all week long, he's been good to me. When I come into this house, I don't need nobody to help me praise the Lord. I enter his gates with thanksgiving and I come into his I feel the Holy Ghost on me right now. Someone who loves him and has loved him all week long. Love him right now. Give him a hallelujah. Give him a thank you Jesus. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hallelujah. the wellspring of the goodness of God coming up out of my belly this morning. Oh, Messiah Messiah. We, as priests of the Lord, do not come with animals anymore. Do you understand? This is a miracle that in the old covenant they would dig a trough in the altar and the tabernacle had an altar and when they put the bloody sacrifice on the altar and they burnt it it came up in the nostrils of God as a sweet smelling savor and the blood of that dead animal got caught and it and and the blood gathered in in that tra- in that trough and was taken away why are you saying this I'm saying this because when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back in 1 Samuel and he found out how to carry the presence of God, every six steps, Lord, I feel God. Every six steps they took, they parked the Ark of the Covenant and they sat it down. And when they sat it down, they got another, they got another sacrifice and they sacrificed another animal. And the road that the presence of God came in on was a bloody road. They were dancing on top of a bloody trail. Why am I saying this? Why would you say this about the blood? Because we've got a church We've got churches in America. They're a bloodless church. We're dancing on top of bloodless roads. We're preaching a bloodless gospel. We we don't want the sacrifice anymore. But if you're going to have the blessing and the glory of the Lord, you can't depend on the sacrifice of a few. Somebody's got to say, I want blessing in my house. I want my bambandekashaya. I want my babies to be blessed. I want my marriage to be blessed. I want my neighborhood to be blessed. And I'm willing to throw a sacrifice on the altar that God would accept so that his blessing can come in. Oh, help me today, God. Help me today, God. It's this priesthood of ours that we've all been called into that God has given us the responsibility and the opportunity of being a part of. Now, Then where am I at? Let's go a little deeper. Can we go a little deeper? In order for us to understand something about our role as priests, we should look back into the Old Testament and observe and observe the Levites of the Old Testament because their ministry was a type and a shadow of the ministry of Christ. And not just the ministry of Christ, but the ministry of the Old Testament Levite was a type and shadow of our ministry and service to the Lord and his kingdom. In the days of the tabernacle of the congregation, some call it the tabernacle of Moses. I feel the Lord in here right now. Can you lift your hands in praise? Come on, just welcome him and honor him. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory. Thank you for your power. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle of the congregation, some call it that, some call it the tabernacle of Moses. We see the Levitical priesthood assigned to various places of worship. You're taking notes, write this down. Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3, there were several divisions, several divisions of the priesthood. There were the Gershonites who, according to Numbers 3, 25 through 26, were responsible for the curtains, the hangings, the ropes of the sanctuary. And then in Numbers 3, 31 through 32, there were the Kohathites. And the Kohathites 
were responsible for taking care of the vessels of the temple, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, and the table of showbread. And then in Numbers 3, 36 through 37, there were the Merorites, and they were responsible. This is all part of the priesthood. The Merorites were responsible for the frames and the bars, the bases, the pillars, the pegs, and all the accessories of the tabernacle. Each division of the tribe of Levi had a particular responsibility to tend to while they were serving in the temple. All of them were at times rotating in the service of the sacrificial system. One of them, namely the high priest, was granted access into the holiest of holies once a year to put blood on the altar and atone for the sins of the nation. All of these divisions of the tribe of Levi had responsibilities in the temple. And this system of Levitical ceremonial priestly service lasted all the way up until the time of David. And when David arrived on the scene, he has this Levitical priesthood serving the Lord with sacrifices in the tabernacle of Moses. And what is interesting, and i got to be real careful because some of this I'm going to preach at Ruach, but you're going to get it first. We'll see how it comes out, and if it ain't no good, I'll preach something else. Hallelujah. When David came onto the scene, the Bible says that he inherited a throne that had been filled by a debased and disobedient, arrogant king, namely Saul. Saul sat on the throne, even though God fired him, God let him sit on the throne for years. And under the leadership of Saul, no one much cared about the presence of the Lord. Now they had a tabernacle in a city called Gibeon. The tabernacle of Moses was still erected. But if you study the text closely, you will find out that even though the tabernacle was erected and sacrifices were happening, there was no Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle of Gibeon. David comes to the throne, and he inherits a throne where there is a tabernacle. God, don't let me go down this road, Lord. There was a tabernacle, but there was no glory. Everybody was sacrificing, but there was no presence. And after 12 years of being king, David got fed up with the absence of the presence of God. And the Bible said that he went to get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I, I don't want to make too much of this right now. If you want to hear the depth of it, you've got to come to Ruach. Hallelujah. But I will tell you that when David went to get the Ark of the Covenant, although he was hungry for the presence, he did not follow the protocol of the presence of God. And when you don't follow God's ways, you can actually have a hunger for God, but get yourself in a mess. Uzzah can touch what is forbidden. You can get comfortable and complacent with holy things and it can bring the devastation on your life and on our lives if we don't follow the bloody path of sacrifice. But I didn't come to talk about that today. Because what I want to tell you is that when David became king and went after the presence of the Lord, there was a priest in Jerusalem, in Israel at that time. Actually, there were two. There was Ahimelech and there was a man named Zadok. Everyone says Zadok. And the Bible tells us that this man named Zadok was a, a, a priest uh, uh, and he had a, a pure heart. In fact, there are three things that I want to tell you about this man named Zadok. And this is where we'll see how far we get into this today. But, but, but there were some things about this man named Zadok and all of his sons. When you go to Ezekiel 44... And you read the 15th verse that I read to you in the beginning of this message this morning. This entire thing in Ezekiel 44 is about the millennial temple. Everyone say millennial temple. This is the temple that God will erect in the last days. And some believe that it is the temple that will exist in the 1,000 year millennial reign. And I want you to pay very careful attention to who gets to serve God in this temple. The Bible said in Ezekiel 44, verse 15, look at it very carefully. It says in Ezekiel 44, verse 15, that in that temple, there would be some priest who would be able to take care of the temple, but they would not be allowed to come near God. 
But, but why? That sounds so harsh, Pastor. Why would God let people serve in the temple but not come near his presence? I'll tell you why. It's not because he didn't want them to come. It's because he gave them what they wanted. Because in the day of David, don't miss this, in the day of David, when David was king, if you search the scriptures carefully, in the book of 2 Samuel, the 15th and 16th chapter, you will find that when David was the anointed king that heaven had approved and applauded, there was an Absalom who rose up against David. Absalom, the son of David's own loins. Absalom, the one that had privilege because he was the child of the king. That Absalom, his heart became bitter, full of pride, full of prejudice, full of hate. And the Bible says that Absalom rose up against his father, attempting to take the throne of David. And David ran from Absalom like a convict, like, like, like someone being chased, like someone afraid for his life. Watch this. And when Absalom rose up, the kingdom got divided. And part of the priesthood followed Absalom. Do you know who stayed beside David? Zadok. Zadok, don't miss it. Zadok followed the anointed king. The rest of the priesthood looked at Absalom, the young, strong, vivacious leader. They said, we better follow him and get our cart hitched up to his horse. And when they hitched themselves to the horse of Absalom, and when they followed his leadership, God took note in heaven. And when it came time to find a priest in this new millennial temple that's coming in the future, God spoke through Ezekiel and said, there's a day coming when I'm going to have a, a temple, a millennial temple, where the river of God will flow out of it. And he said this, this is where it gets crazy. He said, and when I get that temple, he said, there are certain priests that I'm not going to let in my presence. I'm going to let them in the kingdom. I'm going to let them serve in the temple. I'm going to let them serve the stuff. But when it comes to those who get to come near me, I want the sons of Zadok. I don't want a priesthood getting close to me, God said, that went astray and got a divided heart and followed rebellion. Boy, this gets heavy quick, don't it? Why would God choose Zadok? Why would God say, I want the sons of Zadok, the tribe of Zadok? Some call them the Zadokites. Why would God choose the tribe of Zadok to stand near him? and come to his face with worship. I'll tell you why. Three reasons and I'm through. Number one, Zadok was righteous. In fact, the word Zadok means righteousness. It means just. This is not preached about much in the church anymore. I'm not special because I'm mentioning it. I'm just tired of it not being mentioned. Where is the pursuit of holiness and righteousness among the ranks of the righteous in this day? Now, Pastor Kevin, you must be careful not to get legalistic and works-oriented. We don't want to get works-oriented. Let me help you. We are far from legalistic. I know legalism. I grew up in legalism. I grew up, and we had to wear blue jeans to the beach we had to, y'all say, <laughs> we had to play basketball in sweatpants. Come on, somebody. I understand legalism. Women don't cut your hair. Men don't wear a watch. Come on, sisters, you better wear sleeves down to your wrist. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about right now. You ought to praise God you didn't have to survive religion. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you this real quick. If an armpit turns you on, brother, you got serious lust problems. Amen. You got serious lust problems. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about legalism. 
I'm not talking about our list of do's and don'ts that hits you at the back door before anybody feels the love of God. They know what you believe, and it ain't about the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's about don't do this, don't do that, don't go there, don't go there. Listen, I am not preaching legalism, but I am terribly concerned that our infatuation with freedom led us. Paul said in the Pauline epistles, do not let your freedom be used as a yoke of bondage and as a, as a way of fulfilling the flesh. You and I still have to mortify the deeds of our flesh and reckon the old man to be dead. You do not get saved to take a draw and a drink from the freedom of God and see how close to the world and sin you can get without going to hell and just barely make it into heaven. That is not what being a Zadok tribe is about. If you want to know the power of God, you've got to fall so deeply in love with him that when you see the brokenness of this world, you weep with hot tears because you know they don't know how good God is. The holiness and the righteousness of God is what I'm talking about. The Bible says in the book of John that when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, he's the only one that says this. When Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, a dove came and rested on Jesus. And Pastor Bill Johnson said, I want to live like there's a dove on my shoulder and I don't want him to fly away. That's holiness. Well, Brother Wallace, I'm offended. No, you're not. Your flesh is. That part of you that don't want to be corrected uh-huh, you're gathering your things right now. But it's going to hit you when you get in the parking lot. God is jealous for your soul. He is hungry for all of you. He did not come just to save the bad part of you. He came to rescue the whole being. He wants all of us. All the glory of being consumed by the all-consuming fire of Almighty God to know that this world has no place in us, that we are His and we belong to God. It's righteousness. It's, it's not that I it's not that I want to live in legalism. I'm not preaching my list of do's and don'ts to you today. I'm telling you today, what does this world offer you that you can't say no to, to say yes to him? What pet sins are you clinging to? Well, Brother Wallace, they're not harming anybody. I'm telling you right now, church, there are people today who sit in churches and they think that God is satisfied with having some of them. Amen. Jesus didn't die on a cross to get some of you. He died on a cross to get all of you. Holiness and righteousness is not me keeping a list of do's and don'ts so that I please the Lord. It is recognizing that he invited me into his righteousness by his grace and I don't want to ever live in an offensive way to the blessing of his righteousness that he's given me. Zadok was righteous. Look at what the book says. The Bible says they went not astray. Look at Ezekiel 44 verse 15. Why does Zadok get to come into the presence of God and stand in the very presence of God? Because they went not astray. I don't want to go astray. What does it mean to go astray? It means to wander away from. There's a lot of people wandering. Wandering away from the anointed king, the Lord Jesus. I'm telling you right now. You may think I'm a bit zealous and a bit wild. Why is the world, does he sweat and holler at things? Because people do not see sometimes the sinfulness of their ways. The prophet Isaiah said, cry aloud and spare not. I feel like sometimes that we are mesmerized and hypnotized. 
by this world. And many people in the so-called church are losing their faith and wandering astray from the king of glory. And just like they left King David, they're leaving King Jesus to go serve religion. And they wander astray. And they don't talk to God and they don't love God and they don't sacrifice and they don't live for God. And then they're going to wake up one morning and stand before the Lord and they're going to say, I know you. I prophesied in your name. I healed the sick. And he'll say, I never knew you. You say, Pastor, this is harsh. Why would you say these kinds of things? Because the worst thing we can do as preachers is to present a gospel that requires nothing. And it's this little menial kind of faithless faith that, that's just this little expression that gets us free in our conscience. Dear God, church, he doesn't want just a portion of you. He wants all of us. And divided allegiance, a heart that is divided, will cause us to stray. Today, the Lord wants to heal some people who are wandering astray. He wants to bring you back home, and he wants to transform your heart today. And you say, Pastor, I feel like I'm straying. Is there hope? Oh, yes, there's hope. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This is hard preaching, Pastor. I'm telling you, God is calling for some preaching in this hour that will help align the hearts of a wayward church. We're seeing it happen. People are casting off restraint, and they become gods in their own eyes. You say, Pastor, you're just a doom and gloom preacher. Oh, no, I'm not doom and gloom. If I stopped there, I'd be doom and gloom, but that's not how this thing is going to end. There will be some who want astray, but I declare the hot are going to get hotter. Those who want God this morning are going to get closer. Those who hunger for the Lord today are going to find themselves in a close proximity to the presence of the King of Glory. You're going to stand not at a distance, but you're going to stand in His presence. They were righteous, number two. Not only were they righteous, they were faithful. Everybody else wandered away from David and followed Absalom. But Zadok said, I'm staying with the king. Look at somebody tell him, I'm staying with the king. Go follow whatever God you want to. You can go follow whatever idol you want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Somebody's got to make up your mind today that this hell-bound world, I know I sound like somebody out of a 1953 camp meeting with sawdust on the ground, and you're wanting me to tell, tell you how blessed you are, and I'm telling you the way into the blessing is through faithful living and giving your whole life to God. If you feel wayward on the inside, I came to preach to you today, not that you're hopeless, but that God's going to give you a rod of steel in your backbone and he's going to knock the double-mindedness out of your soul and you're going to walk with God in a holy place and feel the wellspring of God's goodness bubble up out of your spirit. This is not bondage to me. This is the blessing of God on our life. Sin shall not have dominion over you and I. We have been freed from the oppressor and if the Son makes me free. I am free indeed. Dear Lord, church, sin is not your friend. It is your enemy. And when you treat it like an enemy, you will praise the one who brought you out of sin. And I feel like running around the city of Chattanooga. Somebody shout if you know you're free. You say, I'm done. You say, Pastor, I feel so condemned. That's not condemnation. The Holy Ghost don't condemn anybody. The Holy Spirit convicts you. And some of us haven't been convicted in so long, we feel condemned. Conviction is to your spirit what pain is to your body. It is an indication something is cut and wounded and in need of healing. If you feel like you're under the pressure while I'm preaching, it's the goodness of God. The 
that's leading you to repentance. It's the goodness of God saying you are more than this. You are Katamashaya. You were created for more than a pet sin on the side. You were created for more than a lukewarm lifestyle. You were created more for a Sunday morning every now and then kind of encounter with God. You were created to love him with a love that is eternal. You were created to stand in his glory and sing worship unto him in a holy place. Your soul burns with the love of God. What a blessing. What a privilege. They were faithful. When everyone else walks away from Jesus, Zadok says, I'm going to stick with the anointed king. And the last thing that I'm through, the prophetic, the prophetic, he was not only righteous, he was not only faithful, he was a prophetic priest. Look in verse, oh, I forgot it, hold on. Second Samuel 15, 27. 2 Samuel 15, 27. Can you throw that one up and I'm through? Somebody come to the piano. Or Ricky, you can play Amazing Grace on the organ. I don't care. 2 Samuel 15, 27. Can you throw that up? It says this about Zadok. The king said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Now let me tell you what's happening. The people who followed David are running out of the city. They are running from Absalom's rebellious, hostile takeover. Absalom is trying to usurp the throne and take the throne illegally. Lord, I wish I had time to preach on that. But before all of the people get out, Zadok has the ark. Keep, if you kept reading that, you would see Zadok has the ark. David tells him, go back to the city of Jerusalem. Are you not a seer? Here's what David was saying. I'm going to run. Because Absalom wants to kill me. But I can run and leave the city because I know now there's a priest in the city who is not only faithful and righteous, he's also a prophetic priest. He can see. He's a seer. Hear me, hear me, priests of the Lord. God is raising up a prophetic priesthood. The word seer, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9, just write it down if you, if you can't. Yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9 says that a prophet is a seer, and a seer is the same thing as a prophet. When David called Zadok a priest who was also a seer, he was calling him a prophet. He was saying, I can leave the city temporarily now because I know the city is in the hands of a priest who can see things spiritually. God wants to... Give some people in this room today the ability to see spiritually a prophetic perception. The ability to prophesy. Here it is. The ability to discern. Where is discernment at in the body of Christ? Is it, is it, am I the only one that bothers? that there are people who just swallow false doctrine and they follow rebellious kings hook, line, and sinker. Where's the discernment? Do you know why we don't have discernment? Discernment is the ability to know something is wrong, not because you studied so much that was wrong, but because you handled so much that was right. It's how they teach the FBI who are trying to locate money launderers. They do not put fake money in their hands to handle. They put real money in their hands to handle. And they handle, handle, handle real money so long that a person touches the real thing and they know that's the real thing. And when something false comes through their hands, they say, wait a minute. I handled the real thing long enough to know that although this looks good and although this might seem good, there's something about this fake thing that doesn't pass 
the test. And I want you to know right now, if you want true godly discernment in this hour, you got to do more than have a little a little chicken soup for the Christian soul once a month in your devotion. You got to open up the bread of life and eat the scroll. You got to love the word. I'm not getting no help, but you got to love the word. And you got to spend time in the presence of the king. And when something comes into your life that just doesn't feel right and it don't sit right, there's a discernment that goes off within you. I feel like I'm preaching to people right now who want an opportunity to say, I do not want to be just another Levite. I don't want to go astray when everybody else goes astray. I want to be a, I want to be a member of that Zadok tribe that gets to come into the presence of the... Do you understand that some priest, God said, they get to serve in the temple. They, they, they get to take care of the menorah and the ark and the candles and the altar. But when it comes to who stands in my presence and sees my face, where's Zadok? Where's Zadok? I want some Zadok tribe in my presence. Why? They were faithful. They were righteous. They were prophetic and discerning. They weren't skeptical. They weren't skeptical. They were discerning. I know this is a heavy word today, but God's taking us to new dimensions of glory. And before we can get into a new place of his presence where that river is flowing in a greater capacity, there's some stuff in me and some stuff in us that he's purging out of our lives. I firmly believe there's some stuff that you could get away with in a previous season that he's requiring of you in this one. Sometimes God will just wink at some stuff. You say, is he winking at sin? No, he's giving you grace to get some things in order and priorities in place. And the Lord's calling some of us to accountability today. And here's the good news. You don't have to do this in your strength. In fact, can I tell you, you can't do this in your strength. But grace is flowing today to let go of some stuff so that as the priest of God, we can bring offerings of sacrifice that are acceptable to the king. Stand with me. Can you lift your hands and close your eyes and so just... Start talking to him until he starts talking to you. Come on. Start talking to him until he starts talking to you. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead I will go. You have called me. I will answer. Lead me, Lord. I will go. If I'm talking to you this morning, I'm talking to saved people who want to be a part of a different kind of tribe. You're not just trying to serve in the temple. You want to stand in the presence of God and wait on the King of glory with your worship. Come to the altar and stand with me right now if I'm talking to you. If I preached and your heart is being pulled on, don't, don't reject. Just come. Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want him to have all of me. I want no divided allegiance in my heart. I don't want to play games. I don't want, I want all of me to be filled with all of him. Come on, come on. Just spread across the front, fill the whole altar, press all the way to the front, family. I want to be a tribe of Zadok. I don't want to just be a priest who's given permission to stand in the temple and do temple things. I want to stand before God. I want to come into the holy place with him. Jesus. 
Janet, sing it. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Come on, you still got time. Lead me, Lord. I will go. You have called me. I don't want my heart to go astray, Pastor. I want him to have all of it. Come on. Come on, press all the way in. People are still coming. People are still coming. Lead me, Lord. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Cleanse us today, God. Purify our hearts. Take the double-mindedness out of us. The divided allegiance. Remove it. We want you, Jesus. We want to see your face. You have called me. I will answer. Sing that again. Come on. Make it your prayer. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will Lead me, Lord. I Oh, you have called me. Everyone in this room, whether you're in the altar or you're in the seats back there, would you lay hands on your heart? Everyone in this room right now. Everyone laying hands on your heart right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Lord, take out the rebellion, the waywardness, the straying. <laughs> and give us a heart to follow you. I pray, Lord, right now for every person in this house. That you would give us a grace to give you parts of our life that we have kept for ourselves. Portions of our being and our heart, God, that we have kept for ourselves. Some in this room who've even entered into sin management. Lord, I give you my heart today, God. That's what he wants, family. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Have your way. Lord, I give you. Come on, give it to him. Sweet surrender, sweet surrender. Every breath I take, every moment I'm awake. Come on, just sing it again and pray it. Don't let your mind wander. Get your heart and bring it to him. Come on, Lord. I want to be that tribe of Zadok that stands in your presence, Father. He says, if you'll give me your heart, if you'll give me your soul, I'll let you in. Live for you alone. Every moment, every moment I'm awake, oh. Divided allegiance in our heart today, God. Have all of us. Every breath that I 
legs over, lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder. The Lord's grace is flowing. Come on, sing that again. Lord, I give you my heart. He's healing somebody today. Some backsliders being healed. You're coming, you're coming back home, and he's taking that waywardness out of you today. today there's a great cleansing happening today there is this thing that God is doing I see it in the spirit we're going home in just a moment but you know God is getting ready to release many of you into a purpose that is beyond your imagination but if he doesn't take the bend out of the arrow Sometimes that arrow gets bent and it goes, has to go under the heat so that that bent arrow can be softened and bent back into a place of straightness so that when the arrow is released, it hits the target. A bent arrow is no good in the hand of a mighty warrior. God is getting ready to pull you back and release your life. But we're in a place today, and it may be for a few days, I don't know. We're in a place where God is taking the bend and the waywardness out of our soul. And he's saying, I'm straightening you up because I'm about to hit the target with your life. I think that ought to bless everybody in the house right there. Can we praise God for the forgiveness of sin and that he'll take and bend us back into a place? Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord grant you his peace today. I love you, family. We'll see you tomorrow night at 7. Help me spread the word on social media that we're going on three more nights, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 7 p.m. I love each of you. Go in the peace of God.